Welcome to episode 165 of Sports Geek. On this week's episode, I chat with Dave Ray about his career in sports and digital with the NRL, Twitter, and his foray into podcasting. Welcome to the Sports Geek Podcast, the podcast built for sports digital and sports business professionals. And now, here's your host, who does card tricks but isn't a magician, Sean Callanan. Thanks, DJ Joel. Yes, my name is Sean Callanan, and you are listening to Sports Geek. And yes, I do need to get some new Sports Geek uh, business cards. Um, for those of you who have got them in the past, um, I used to, the card trick used to be putting a sticker on the back of uh, old school trading cards and handing them out. Uh, because the original idea was to actually have my own trading cards, which I now do. Uh, So there's a few different variations of the trading card, um, and my son, who's a budding graphic artist, is actually building out uh, some new versions of those. So if you see me, um, yeah, the business card is not dead. It's not dead at all. Uh, Thank you very much for listening to Sports Geek. You might be doing so on iTunes, Stitcher, or my favourite podcasting app, Pocket so you might be doing it at the website, sportsgeekhq.com. Um, my name, as I've said previously, if you're joining for the very first time, my name's Sean Callanan uh, from Sports Geek. Uh, you can always contact me via social media, at Sean Callanan on most channels or at Sports Geek on most channels. Uh, and really pleased to be able to have this conversation with Dave. I've known Dave Ray for a long time. Uh, in his time working at the NRL uh, with Telstra as a digital rights holder for the NRL uh, in when we were working with teams like uh, Manly and the Melbourne Storm and North Queensland Cowboy and the Rabbitohs, obviously. Um, so I got to know uh, the NRL digital landscape uh, through working uh, with the teams and understanding what uh, Dave is doing at, at Twitter. And then he moved to Twitter Australia. Um, so it's been finally good to uh, lock him in for a chat. He's been one of these guests that we've been uh, that we've been bouncing backwards and forwards to say we should catch up for a podcast chat. So I was lucky enough to catch up with him when I was recently in Sydney to talk about his career, uh, what he's doing now, and the fact that he's uh, jumping into podcasting himself. So here's my chat with Dave Ray. Uh, very happy to be here in uh, somewhere suburban Sydney. I don't know exactly where I am, uh, but here with good friend Dave Ray. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sean. Great to be here. W- where are we in part of Sydney? We are in beautiful downtown Rosebury, uh, which is just south of the Sydney CBD, about six k's south of the middle of George I, Street. See, I don't I don't measure things in k's anymore. It's <laughs> it's in Uber dollars. I pretty much uh, was I, like, I think a fifteen to twenty dollar Uber. Exactly. Ride. It's, oh, it's fifteen fifteen dollars away. That's yep. how I that's how I was referencing uh, restaurants in LA. Is that how far? I said it's $6. That's how far Manhattan Beach was away. And it's like, well, yeah, we don't need it in time anymore. It's all in money. Um, yeah, I wanted to catch up with you. I, I met you back in, I want to say 2012, 13. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, there 12, I think it was. Yeah. Um, when you were working at, uh, at Telstra as part of the, the NRL digital team. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been in the sport digital space uh, for, for a long time. Before before you got into that role, before you got into the Telstra role, what was your what was your background? How did you get into how did you get into sport? Well, my history work wise goes back uh, pretty much towards the beginning of two thousand or so. Like obviously, 
finding myself and what I wanted to do from being a failed accountant when I first started my career in the in the 90s. But when I joined Vodafone in 2000, it was their move from sort of 2G, 3G, 4G into content service. So starting out basically with things like wallpapers and ringtones when yep. they were massive. But then getting into infotainment services and the biggest part was their involvement with the Wallabies. So how it is we did Super Rugby and got text-based scores, then WAP-based. Oh, that was, WAP. Yep. Just uh, send us a tweet uh, if, you're a re- if you're a listener that remembers WAP. Yeah, uh, yeah I, and, I, and the greatest failure, which is market the technology and not what it does. I still like uh, talking to uh, Dave Curry, uh, who is at, who's at the Seattle Mariners, and there's this whole buzz now of in-seat ordering. No. He goes, he goes. I did in-seat ordering via WAP back in the day, <laughs> uh, and and it's you know it was a fad then, and it's still a little bit of a fad now. And I went, wow, yes. in-seat ordering via WAP. Yeah, I, I can. I look back on that and think it was probably one of the greatest marketing failures of all time that way because you'd then have to explain, well, this is a kilobyte and this is yeah. how much a kilobyte yeah. costs and yeah. everyone got but confused. But then it got then it got superseded by QR codes. So, yeah. Like, yeah. so we, we could go through a whole episode of marketing failures. So, <laughs> so you're at Vodafone as as the as the players as the yeah. Tel, as the Telstras and the Optus and the Vodafone all start getting into a bit of the media game. That's right, and I probably had my first real interaction with one of the sports um, during the time at Vodafone when 4G was starting to be scoped around 2003-04 and going and meeting with a bunch of the major sports in Australia and starting to help them understand, well, if we were going to participate in auctions for rights, these are the sort of things we'd look towards in our footprint. Um, I made a move there, spent a couple of years at Nickelodeon as marketing director there, so got heavily into events with the Kids' Choice Awards and the like, working with SpongeBob and Dora every day, which is great when my kids were that age. Then made the move over to Fairfax Digital, um, heading up effectively like a commercial director, so bringing together the product, the technology, the content um, as it sort of went through its greater move towards the internet. But loved my time at Fairfax, really believed in its quality journalism, uh, but the opportunity came in 2011 to go to Telstra to take over the NRL and V8's rights deals that they had, and they were both on the cusp of the next five-year tranche in how they're working, so I couldn't pass up that opportunity. Yeah, so again, uh, for the people who are listening from, from outside Australia, Telstra is, uh, like Vodafone, one of the uh, telco operators and the, the major player in the Australian market, and, and for a long time, especially in the period you were there, they held... All, like almost all of the major digital rights yep. um, and these were because this is also the time that you know I just started Sports Geek and I remember working with clubs or leagues and and sort of shaking my head at the the, the, the deal that you know, Telstra had you know the rights to the internet yeah. right <laughs> they, 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 if they wanted to contractually they could have said oh sorry, that thing called the Facebook hmm. you can't have that because our, our contract says if it's on this thing called the web, we own the access to it. So there was that – what was that period like as that awkward dance sort of started to come of here come these social networks when Telstra sort of has that, you know, that single vision of everything on our platforms or on our apps and, you know, we want people to, to, to sign up and, you know, as a, as a lead magnet and that kind of thing. But the content started to to split because it was a real awkward and a bit of a tussle, a lot of tension in that space. Yeah, it was the way we always approached those rights deals was even if something wasn't perhaps big at the time, you had to operate on the basis of saying it will be a major threat. Oh, completely. So so when you were 
at, at the time, say, you know, YouTube was endemic, you know, Facebook was getting its momentum in the way that it was around 2011. But when you were negotiating these rights deals, you had that in the back of your mind, but you knew the party you were negotiating with absolutely saw it as a tension point. Mm. So you're in the mode of internally almost saying to your colleagues, we've got a plan for this, but externally saying, well, you know, they're not really getting it into it because that's the dance of these deals. Um, I don't know if there was a consideration at that time about, um, say, what Facebook Live has become or what yep. Periscope became in the same way. But certainly planning for it being massive was what we always did and then took that into account in the pitch and the price that you wanted to pay for it. Yeah, I mean, because the, the lawyers are always the last one to catch up to digital. So, yeah. I mean, that, and, and they, they're risk-averse, so they are going to say... Let's take on more. And the person that is collecting the big wad of cash that's getting handed over, they're like, well, are we really not going to take this big wad of cash on the promise of these upstarts? Which they were at that point, you know. People didn't know what you were going to get and, you know, are you going to get data? Where is it going to affect broadcast? So, you know, I understand it, but it's... It's, you know, very hard from the you – know, when it's that one step removed from what league to club because the, the deal is done at the league and the club's like, our fans are over there. We just want to talk to our fans and that backwards and forwards has always yeah, been – Yeah, and, and there's, I think there's always been a bit of a misnomer through Clubland and I, I'll say that dealing with clubs uh, initially in the job was probably the hardest part, not, not because of them and the, the difficulties they had. It was more just trying to explain the context of what you were trying to do. Mm. But over time, and I, I say with my hand and my heart, that dealing with clubs in the NRL was probably the greatest joy of the job because you got incredibly hardworking people are passionate about what they do and they'll be there for seven or eight years in the same job because they believe in what they're doing. So the more that you can sit with them and sort of hold their hand and really understand, okay, I kind of get where you're trying to get to. But at the same time, not being scared to give an honest answer about, well, we paid for these rights and we really can monetize them. You get a good drink out of this. And so as long as you would be transparent about it, it'd be fine. And so yeah, the, the breed of CEO that you're getting in Australian sport, if not global sport, is getting smarter and smarter. Like your hometown, uh, guys like Dave Donaghy, what Melbourne Storm do, and you and I appeared at a conference together and I said it four years ago and I'll say it again now, that is just the smartest group of people, you know, know, how they operate. And they they look for every opportunity, but you can have a reasonable conversation with them about things they can and can't do. Yeah, and it is, you know, and they're they're pushing the envelope as much as they can, you know, and as much as they do it, you know, on the field to get that performance edge and yeah. that kind of thing, competitive edge. They're trying to do it from a business point of view. So they're gonna they're gonna push every inch of that deal to say, well, this is what we're trying to do um, to get our result. But yeah, you have to have that push and pull because you know we have not yet seen the you know if we go back to 20, 2010, 2011, 2012, when a lot of both the NRL, the supercars, the AFL, they all went. We're all setting ourselves up to be right for the yeah. next one so we won't need the Telstras of the world. Yeah. And, you know, and so that ha- has happened in some instances and hasn't happened in others. So it's, you know, it's a bit like you've got to you, – you, you, they're trying to future-proof themselves, but, you know, the infrastructure, the money that, 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 that they're bringing to the part is very hard to turn down. Yeah, it is. And I think there's, there's often a misnomer that by potentially broadcasting yourself as a sport, if you're one of the majors – you will still need 
a TV broadcaster. At yeah. the end of the day, yes, Facebook, Twitter, other parties may come and bid for those rights, but you've hit the nail on the head. The infrastructure required to do it, simple things like payment gateways are boring and expensive. Um, there are parties that do it and the economies may get better and better, but ultimately, yeah, you, you still do need that mass market reach because it's, it's, I often say to people, it's, if you are broadcasting on a mobile device, the choice is not between watching it on TV and watching it on your phone. It's looking at it on your phone and getting bored with it and going, I'm going to switch to one of the 30 other apps that I'm interested in spending my time on. Yep. Your competitive set is completely different. Yeah, and, and I think the other, the other part of it is looking at the comparison of the Australian market and the US market. So yeah. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Australia looks at the US market and, you know, looks for leaders in the US market. And if you look in the US market, what MLB has done with BAM um, and built out that model mm. as a technology business to say, oh, this is what we're doing and we're supporting it and it works with at bat and they're getting the subscriptions, the OTT stuff's working. Yep. And then the fact that they've flipped it out and they're doing WWE and now they're doing the NHL like and, and, and yeah. Disney and has gone and bought a big chunk of it. Like I think there was a lot of sports in Australia, leagues that went, oh, that's the model we want. But it, you know, it, I don't think it completely applies to, to the Australian market. Like there's a, yeah. there's a size thing. Um, there's the technology play that's, you know, it's very much a technology company, mm. which we don't have in the sports space just yet, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think that's a really great point. I think that perhaps one, not failure is not the right way to put it, but something to be very wary of for Australian sports is, you know, I often say to people, there's, there's 23 million, yeah. 24 and a half now. It's less people than Texas. Mm. So with all the sports and all the competition we've got, there needs to be more partnerships between all of them to leverage their infrastructure as much as they can. And I know that uh, the AFL now with racing.com, that, that deal's being done, so that's good leverage of it. The, the NHL one is the perfect example. You know, them biting the bullet and saying, let's get into bed, let's get equity in their operation with, uh, with BAM and then make sure that we've got an, you know, something that leverages their product 24-7. Um, I, I think, yeah, building your own towers and having your own infrastructure just for your sport is a very high-risk play in our country. Yeah, and but the thing is, it's a sports is a weird, it, it's a weird industry because they're, they're also competitive. Yeah, like you know, I joke um, that I walk into four different codes and I call them all football. Yeah, and and I never get it wrong. Um, but they all try to own the wo- own the word, and mm. and but they all get competitive as much off the field. And yes, they are competitive because they are chasing the same sponsors, and they are chasing the same. So we understand that. But you know, and there's the same competition you know that's happening in the states. But that's probably what's stopping stopping that those partnerships sort of happening to sort of say, you know, well, the AFL and the NRL are in the business of being relevant for as many months of the year as they can be, you know, be possibly relevant. Yeah. So. How can they be have a relationship with sports that they're also trying to push out the door? So that's where the, the that, that infrastructure play where you say that's the one that makes sense. Yeah. It's going to be really tough to pull off. Yeah, that's right. And so if you've got that infrastructure, then what is the product you're going to have to support it? So the, the AFL doing the smart job of be it the preseason cup or the draft at the end of the season or whatever other event that uh, you know NRL has done a great thing, but uh, in terms of its products like the Auckland Nines and then everything coming in. But it's the exhaustion factor, not just on the players, but the fans themselves. You have to hit a point of going, perhaps maybe there's too much product with any of the sports as well. So uh, I've been having a debate with a friend recently about the AFL's bye weekend and saying it's either terrible or a work of genius. There's no middle ground with the whole thing. And the Western Bulldogs premiership last year, 
You know, you're well, a bigger expert. You could theorise how much that benefited for that bye week. It could be decided in the next four weeks if it was a disaster or if it was, yeah. you know, if it's the best finals ever and another fairy tale story comes about because some player got back, then then it's manufactured. But well, hang but, on. Isn't the, isn't the real test in the AFL that it, when, if and or when Collingwood make the finals again? It hurts so much. It <laughs> Sorry, hurts so much. But when that happens again, it'll be dependent on how Eddie feels about it. If it benefits the pies, it'll be a great idea. But if it doesn't, it's not. Oh well, if uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if – yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm lost for words. I'm yeah, lost you're, for, you're bristling in front I'm, of me. I'm, I'm lost for words. But, yeah, I mean, it is – yeah, it is, it, is a, it, is a, it is a strange one how that, how that sort of uh, works, but it is just – that's just the – it's the media cycle that's, you know, yeah. filling newspapers and, and, uh, and columns that make that, a, make that a concern. Oh, I will say that when I was working at Fairfax, we knew wholeheartedly the impact of Collingwood on age sales in Melbourne that the wraparounds that would be done would generally give such a huge boost. And it's it's a real testament, I will say, to how that club has run. Yeah. Like, you know, the and I travelling overseas and explaining to people the concept of Collingwood, you explain the economics and you go, what is it, sixth highest crowds in world sport, you know, eighty thousand yeah. members or whatever and, and and it's sort of like if you combine the Yankees and the Raiders and that's how much hatred there is for the yeah. for the club. Sort of <laughs> yeah. combined. Yeah. Yeah, and then explain because they go, oh, "Do you follow this team?" And I go, "No, I'm like everyone else is trying. I can't stand them." Yeah, you know. But it's the the dislike and contempt you have that way. I think is it's a bit like last year when people talk about Cronulla and the the romance of them winning. Like there was this absolute romance about the Western Bulldogs. No one's got anything against Footscray. Yeah, there's a bit of fun with the whole thing. But with Cronulla, if you're a St George fan, that was the worst thing possible for you. Yep. And I love that about sport. Yeah, yeah. You know, those sort of inherent stupid biases are great fun. Yeah. And that is yeah, and that's the that's the difference of you know working you know for a Vodafone or a Nickelodeon and sport the 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 ups and downs like as I so talk to people who work in sport and you know sports hard working business you you're yes this doing stacks of hours you're working overtime you're working weekends there's yep. a lot of heart you know there's a lot of passion in it and you get pummeled when the team loses and you you lift up with the highs. But it's got so much compelling content and so many people yeah. so passionate behind it, it smooths it all out. Because, you know, when someone leaves and they go, oh, I'm going to go work in corporate because I'm sick of the grind of sport. I'm like, okay, like, I understand that. You'll work less. You'll, you'll see your family more. You get paid you'll more. You'll get paid more. <laughs> like, there's all these things that are great about it. Yeah. I said, but then you have to promote, you know, you have to do your job without knowing that you can put out a Buddy Franklin goal or a... Or a Billy Billy Slater swerve, you know, try yeah. that you know is it's money. It's like you can put it on any channel and it's going to have people coming in. So it's that, that's the reason you get paid more because you've got to make banks sexy or, yeah. or or you know telcos and and that kind of thing. So that's the that's the conundrum. You know, working in sport to non sport. You're right. I have found one of the since leaving uh, working in sport about eighteen months ago, or work leaving the, the Telstra NRL land. My wife's first reaction was, I'm looking forward to you just watching it for the fun of it. 
because, yeah, yeah you, you touched upon the right point. As my team and I managing all the NRL digital assets and the club assets and the content and everything that Monday to Friday doing a regular job and then 8 o'clock fr- or now 6 o'clock Friday night, the first game starts and you don't get a break across the weekend. You're constantly checking the products. You're checking forums. You're looking on Twitter to see if there's social media comments about the quality of your product. You're getting alerts from network infrastructure people if there's the slightest outage, if there's a, a cell tower and Dubbo that's out. Yep. You get that information because you then know the impact on it and you've got to have that customer obsession in order to deliver it because – you mentioned it before, sport attracts a particular type of person. And I always used to say that it, it attracts irrationally competitive people. Yep. That you're competitive on the field and then when you go off, you always want to win the argument but you don't know if winning the argument put either of you in a better position. Yep, I can so that, see that. that spirit of compromise, has you sort of have to almost remove your competitive aspect to go, what's the best result? And that's the big change that way. So, yeah, I, I have to admit I've steadfastly enjoyed the last 18 months of actually being able to yell at the TV for the purpose of yelling at my team. Yep. Because yelling at the TV makes the team play better. Oh, completely. Yeah. Oh, completely. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm completely on board with that. I'm completely on board with uh, – and we've used it a long time um, – that, that you can train your fans to be superstitious. Like that was one of our early, early social hacks of – uh, putting up a post and saying, click like if you think we'll win. And six <laughs> weeks later, every fan thought it, they had to click like because they'd won the last week and it became part of their yeah. ritual of going to the game. And it's yeah. like, well, that's what you've got to, you know, that's what you've got to do. You've got to give them the, their, their little rituals of this is what you've got to do. You've got to share your post here. Yep. You've got to like this post. You've got to consume this bit of post at this point in time. Like they're very fickle and uh, routine oriented. Well, let me let me ask you along those lines. Then, as as a Pies fan, and you know, me with the Raiders, different story. Do you think that fans are harsher on their teams than anybody else? Like oh, it's, completely. Yeah, you know, it's almost like the opposite of your family. That your family, you either are harsh to their face or completely. You know, yeah, but I do think there's. I think there are types of fans. I think yeah. there, there there are the you know the. Uh, I burn my membership in the microwave every second week type of fan, right? They're, they're those kind of fans that just completely and – and I go there and I, you know, go there with my son and my brother and, you know, I yell and cheer as much as anyone, but I'm not one of those ones that just, you know, there's always a whipping boy or someone in the team that everyone just rips. I'm never that – because one, because I see these guys and I know they're, they're actual people, yeah, right? And, you know, and I also see all the online stuff of all the stuff that they – see and all that kind of stuff so i i've got a bit more recognition of that but it's like but i do recognize people just go there as their stress relief as you just said of i'm getting this out of my system and yelling at the tv or yelling at the top of my lungs or whether it's at the umpire or whatever it's just their release mm-hmm. now there's some people that do it online and i'm like you know some of the stuff that you're you know well, why are you saying that like yeah you know i don't i don't get it but again it's back to that they want to have an argument about, you know, whether the player X should be dropped or not played, or whether the coach should go or not go. That kind of thing. That's they're going to hold on to that argument. Yeah, I, I had it after the Raiders last game because the, facing facts, this is a year of massive underachievement. The, the idea that they were in the top two or three to win the title and not making the, the playoffs is a very very poor year. But my, my glass is half full about it. That I my thought is this is good that the club feels they've underachieved by not making the semis. Yep. Whereas in previous years, ninth or tenth wasn't a bad effort because yep. everyone thought we'd finish last. So my first tweet after that last game was, well, 
it's we've not been happy, but I'm sticking solid and going from there because I can sit and I can whinge about it, but I'm not going to stop following them. Yeah, I'm still going to wear green. It's yeah. it's just the nature of the beast. No, exactly, and yeah, and I do. Uh, like I feel like the thing is because I work and know all the guys that run, all the guys and girls and stuff that run the social. I'm like, I know what they read all the time. Yeah, and the and the, the people concept is that's a really great point that. As you know, when you get to know people in clubland, you don't have that, oh, that group of people are terrible or whatever. You just see, well, they're really passionate about what they do and, and because they can be aggressive, you can go, okay, well, hang on a minute. Let's just talk about this rationally and do it that way because they're often in a situation where they have to speak in those tones. But approaching them reasonably and saying, mate, I get where you're coming from. Here's what I feel. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, one of the, one of the services that I always offer the digital folk is, you know, you, you have that 10-goal loss and all the fans are piling in and you just want to reply to them, mm. right? And I don't blame them. They're like, they're just copying it. And the thing is that a lot of, you know, the staff, they wear it for the players because they have a connection. They know the players. They know they didn't kick it out on the bounds of the floor deliberately. Yeah. You know, all of the, it's, you know, logic is not part of the equation. And so the service I offer them is um, open up your phone, send me a text with all the worst swear words you've ever heard in your life. Get it out of your system, and in five minutes later, you can go back and it's like, oh, it's good. So occasionally, I just get the worst swear words you've ever seen in a text, and I'm like, okay. But I always give them the story. We work with the uh, the Sydney Thunder in their early years of the of the Big Bash. They went 18 months without having a win. That's right. Yeah. And and like every you know, and it's like, well, you can't stop posting. Yeah. You can't you can't stop, and so. You just sort of say, oh, we're going to keep... Po-. And then the thing is, the, the, the tiny, hardened digital cheer squad that was there that was sticking by them, they were like, you know, defending the wall. Yeah. Like they, they were the ones saying, we're here, we're, here. we're eventually, we're eventually going to win. We're eventually going to... You know, you and me, and they're like locking arms digitally going, we're in, yeah. we're in, we're in. We're going to win, we're going to win. And the thing is, you could rev them up to go each week, yeah, we're going to win. They're all going, yeah, we're going to win. And they lost again. Yeah. And obviously then the damn burst, they won, and then they were lucky enough to win uh, the whole thing a couple of years, you know, a year or two later. But it's like you've just got to wait that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, a friend of mine, um, Nicoletta Rule, who works the digital head of the San Diego Chargers, she presented to um, – the we did a club summit a couple of years ago, and she this fantastic line that she talked about, which is saying, look, whenever we lose – she said, when we win, everyone's welcome in and can interview it. But she said, when we lose, that's when we go into overdrive with how we share. We yeah. open the change room doors. Everyone's got to be available. And the phrase that she used was that people enjoy a wedding, but they really want to see an autopsy. Yeah. And that, that's it was just such a, a clip, you know, moment. And seeing the room of everybody in Clubland going, wow, I've got to now convince my CEO that that's a good idea. But I, I tend to believe the more that a club will confront its demons that way, the better off they're going to be. And, and you know, Ricky Stewart is, is a great example of that, that he's a gruff, you know, kind of guy and how he is, but he's now making himself more and more available and that's what's made a huge – when the Raiders are 20,000 members for the first time in history, the fourth biggest crowds in the game during a pretty average year and terrible weather. Yeah, and that's so, – that, that's still – I mean, as much as we're getting into a newer age and digital everything, it's still a lot driven by the coach. Oh, like, it's still yeah, like they yeah. set the tone for the – for the whole, you know, organisation, they, you know, they, they don't go out to the digital team and say, you can't do this, you can't do that. No. But the tone is set. If they say, you can't be here, I'm not doing this, that goes down to the players, and the players are more closed off. 
you can't do that, open the doors and let everyone in. Yeah, and I think and that's I, a huge fault. Yeah. I think that's that dynamic in Australia in particular has got to change. And, and it is evolving as you're yeah. getting younger coaches that are seeing, you know, that maybe follow the US sport or you know, you're seeing players coming out and saying, wow, the NFL guys are talking to the press you know, 20 minutes before the game or, but or no, the yeah. NBA guys are talking, you know, 10 minutes after the game and there's not that guarded, oh, hang on, we've got to go through the media manager. Can, can I talk to that person that's just there? And Yeah, but it's also about simple things as well. Like Cam Newton doesn't come out wearing a, you know, a, a, um, a Panther shirt. Hmm. He comes out with the, the boater and the bow tie and the $2,000, $5,000 suit. Yeah. I, I had an NRL player, former Origin player, I won't name his name, but about six months ago catching up and talking about him and because he's changing clubs next year and, and his dynamic and said, mate, every time you do that, imagine if you were the guy that came out dressed like LeBron. I said, fair enough, your mates are probably going to hang shit on you for a period, but all of a sudden you're going to open yourself up to a whole other narrative about mm. what you do. It's like, well, he's the guy that shows respect. I said, you'll pick up sponsors, you'll do this and this, and it, he's not going to do it, but they're the sort of things in Australian sport. It'd be nice to actually see that kind of thing happen. Yeah, definitely. So... Going into, uh, you've left the NRL and yep. then you took a role at Twitter. Yes. Director of Audiences and Growth mm-hmm. at Australia. And I think I, I think I commented to you on the time, I went, like, at 2015, I'm like, head of growth, like, that's a big job. Yeah. Like, on where, and again, whether it's, whether it was true or not, perception was Twitter was plateauing or even worse, you know, mm-hmm. going down. What was your time at Twitter like? Oh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Hadn't worked for a Silicon Valley company before. Learned more, with no disrespect to my prior employers, learned more in that year than probably the previous 10. Purely because, yeah, it's, look, the business, there's there's the public side and the listed side of everything that's going on, but the point is more about with growth. It's like, well, is it more monthly users? Is it more daily users? Is it the level of consumption they're doing? Is it the type of things they're doing? And you know yourself as an avid user of Twitter itself. It's this... Mistakenly, I think in the wider public, this idea of well, I don't tweet, so I wouldn't want to be on there. Yeah, but th- I, I mean, I, I don't, you know, the stat that um, was that, that I, you know, thirty percent of people on Twitter don't tweet. They yeah. just they just look at it. Yeah, and you know, I think that was that was true when Mike Brown came out in twenty twelve before the office was. Yeah. you know that that's the stat, and so it's a you know people consume it. Yeah, and I, I got to work with just brilliant people. Um, Exposure to people like Anthony Nido, the, the CFO, well, now the COO, who's just a, a sort of a, a whole entity unto himself. You know, the, you know, if you ever have a chance, just Google the information about him. You know, sort of a West Point graduate, uh, tours in Iraq, you know, everything about it. And he was a fascinating guy to work with. Who's just so driven in how he does it. Limited exposure to Jack Dorsey during that time as well. And so you, you look. Absolutely loved my time there. So um, it was. Yeah. So it was. You were part of a growth, like a global growth team. You yes. It wasn't. Hey, Dave, fix Australia. Yeah. You were part of a team working around the world That's on right. growth initiatives. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So we, we're a network. Um, so we're reported through to San Francisco. Um, fantastic boss Valerie Wagner, um, who was an aqua hire of Twitter. So she had a business based in India, um, that was acquired by Twitter, and then she became the global head of growth. And and the idea of it was really to harness all of the data and information that we have about everyone that's using it to work out how it is that you leverage that audience for greater forms of growth. And it does that have an impact on the products? Does it have an impact on the media team, our business development opportunities? And so during that period, it was a matter of starting to turn that ship around a little bit. And it's the 
not just on our team zone, but it became more like a corporate strategy yeah. um, that we were putting together. Um, the unfortunate part was, yeah, that they got to the end of 2016 um, and did a massive global cull, and unfortunately our team was part of that. But um, I still sit here today as an absolute zealot for the service. Um, I believe wholeheartedly in it and its future and what it can do. Um, it's... I think the the perception side of things around what Facebook does, what Instagram does, what Snap does in your life, that's the really key point. And because it's, it's a bit of a comparing, like it's, it's it always it, is. It's, yeah. it's been the you know yeah. the, all the, social media is the same. Oh yeah, know? but and it has been you know how quickly yeah. Facebook iterates, then Snapchat's come along and they were iterating even faster. Yeah. And, and Twitter has sort of been like still looks like Twitter from 2011. Like yeah. I love Twitter in 2011, but. Like, you know, where's everything else? And, uh, you know, you can always Monday morning quarterback, you know, the things yeah. like, oh, well, there's Vine. Well, if they just embedded Vine straight in, then they'd have video, you know, and now it's there. And so there was yeah. a few splinters and that kind of thing. I think it's had more change in the last 15, 18 months than in the previous six years. Yeah. You know, and the internet does not like change. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, Twitter, you've changed it again. It's like, well, if they don't change it, no one's going to come on board. Like, yeah. you you know, I joke, you know, when I first sort of met the guys from Twitter and, and uh, you know, Mike and that came out, they did, we did Twitter brekkie in Melbourne and Sydney and sort of got everyone involved and like, oh, you know, and I thought, oh, you've just got to fix onboarding. Yeah. You've got to get, you know, so when someone signs up for Twitter, because when I went on Twitter and started Twitter, the, f- the first thing I did was I taught people how to do Twitter. Mm-hmm. So this is what you do. I said, you can't have me or people like me telling people, you just got to get better at in the app. And I think it was like 12, 18 months later, I was actually at Twitter getting a tour with Laura, uh, Laura King, and she was like, and I walked past the room, one of the rooms, and I'm like, oh, you're working on the onboarding process, good on you, about time. <laughs> and like, it's still, you know, six years later, it's still being worked on, but I think some of the changes that they've brought in now yeah. uh, sort of pivot into what it does really well. It does news, live events, you know, big moments in the world really well, right? It's the, it's the pulse. And, you know, that's what Jack said. It's the, you know, yeah, it's the pulse yeah, of the yeah. world. Now yeah. it's actually showing it and showing that case. Now the second piece is how do we get more people tweeting? To a certain degree, that doesn't matter. Like, yeah, you're right. And I, I used to always say to people that you use Twitter even though you don't think you use it. Yeah. Like Don, Donald Trump at the moment is demonstrating that. It's, you know, if there's an event around the world – the reactions that the wider public has about it, they don't necessarily say we walked up to people in the street. They show tweets of everything that goes on. Yeah. The For me, I look at, and because I suppose being a, you know, sarcasm is the lowest form of humour, as it's said, but the I, one of the things I loved is, is examples like this week with the Piers Morgan manning up thing about his broken ribs. You saw that? No, no. Okay, explain so Piers, that. Sorry, I'm loath to bring up Piers Morgan. Um, not a fan, but... Right. Um, yeah, so he tweeted earlier in the week that he was going to go on... Good Morning Britain or whatever the breakfast show is that he's on, and he's going to be doing it with three broken broken ribs. Mm. It's called manning up, and so to, to go on TV with broken to ribs sit on, to sit on a studio for two or three hours in the morning. Getting, so he's not talking about going through a, you know playing a football match with broken ribs. Yeah, he's yeah. not facing Brett Lee again. Um, and so it led to this fantastic reaction around the world of women, in particular, going, "Oh right, well I drove my dad to the hospital after his heart attack with a dislocated shoulder in our and on my motorbike, kind of thing." <laughs> and you know, hashtag womaning up, yeah. and just for me, it was like. Nothing they were saying was angry at him. Yeah. It was just, oh, really? You're going to yeah. sit on a set, get over yourself kind of way. And it just that is one of the things I love about it is it's, it's the 
you know, its its format lends itself to the best in brevity and wit yep. that way. So, I mean, I haven't, I haven't had it earlier today that um, after Alan Jones with Macklemore last week, I don't mm. know if you saw that reaction, but there's a photo of Jones overnight where he's worn his full green Adidas tracksuit in the office and I've gone evidently channeling Macklemore yep. that way. And, and it's... It's those sort of weird things it presents that way, and I think that's that's the great strength of, of Twitter so, itself. So that's a strength, but yeah. that's also its challenge to get that content yeah. to you. Yeah, and, and so it, like you know, and that's part of the onboarding challenge. That's part of like just lean into the algorithm. Everyone else has got an algorithm. If if this is really you know, I'm really liking the fact that what you missed. I no, what actually I do like all those things yeah. I missed. Yeah, that tells me the algorithm works. Just show me the algorithm. Like if, you know, and, yeah. you know, and so that type of stuff can bubble up. Um, and I think that's, you know, and they, they are slightly, you know, they're slowly bringing it in. It's like, oh, do you want recommendations? And, and it's like people, and they're doing it in a slow manner because there's the, I want my timeline un, unfiltered yeah. and, and chronological. I don't want them out of order. Like, yeah. again, the indignation of the internet user, um, which yeah. is a tough thing. But, like, in the end... If you're getting, you know, that's what Facebook figured out. It figured out, mm-hmm. let's give them the content that they want. If they, you know, if they don't want it, we won't show it to them and they won't, they'll spend more time in. And it's, it's about that stickiness. It's funny you say that, that the, what you often saw with any change, like things like changing from stars to hearts yeah. with the likes. Mm. And you could show every bit of A-B testing that showed it had a greater impact, people understood it more, all those things. But the most vitriolic responses are for the long-time hardcore Twitter users. Yeah. But they don't necessarily leave. They get annoyed and they get used to it. But it's almost it's almost a badge of honour to go, look, this is mine. And they, look, that sense of ownership is really lovely yep. that way. And so they're the people that um, you would watch for those reactions with any product change that came through. And I, I will say that one of the senior guys who we used to be aligned with in our team is like one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Speaks 10 languages, you know, learns an 11th when he's on a plane going yep. to Japan or something. And he's the sort of guy, he gets in there and he'll be the one sitting back and pausing going, here's the thing we didn't consider with this. Yep. So, yeah, look, I, I think um, is it going to go to astronomical growth levels again? I simply don't know. But certainly the, the relevance of it is more than ever. Uh, I mean, the thing that, you know, uh, I think there's been the big, big tweak um, has been its pivot into media. In, yes. in capturing yeah. media rights, like you know, give yeah, it cre- give, give, give them credit. They were one of the first to be starting to put down cash, mm-hmm. you know, because social media pretty much said, "We are, look, look at us, we're great platforms. Give us content for free," and everyone bought it. Yeah, everyone bought it, and then we're like, "Hang on, they've got all of our fans now. What happened there?" Mm-hmm. Right, and so they were the first to at least say, "Well, we realise that we are a platform like the traditional platforms. TV, it pays. Radio, it pays." Um, you know, now we're going to start paying for the rights and, you know, testing that out. Now, yes, they did the NFL and, and they lost it to Amazon, but it's brought, it's dragged other parties to the, to the equation. Yep. Talking to the guys at, at Riot recently and the fact that the eSports community is super engaged on Twitter. Yeah. That it makes sense to, to, to do a deal of the, te- of the streaming on Twitter and, you know, they were blown away with the amount of uh, the viewership, like 10 minutes of watching uh, esports, which is tiny when you look at the Twitch numbers. But what it says is, oh, they're new people. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so it, it makes sense that that's where it's moving. You know, it makes sense that then the, 
the Apple TV version of the Twitter app and you become a, it becomes a platform. That's when, because then if you can integrate, because where it's always worked is live sport yep. and live, live TV events, you know, the Grammys and the Oscars and those kind of things. Or well, politics in Australia. And politics yeah. and anything like that. When there's something happening and... You, so then it's like, well, you know, how do you how do you mash it up? Because, like you said before, so Twitter's got such a good job, done it, such a good job in its PR that everyone else is talking about Twitter. That to a certain degree, you don't have to go and sh- you know, people aren't checking what Trump tweeted because yeah. it's on the news. Yeah, yeah, it, so, it becomes the story that way. And 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 Trump is the. I often get asked by people, oh, you know, you must be really glad for Donald Trump being on Twitter. And it's like, well, that, that's actually not the right question, which is it's a demonstration, you know, wh- whatever he does and whatever platform he does it on, <clears throat> it's a demonstration of its real-time power and its influence around the world that way. Now, his tweets and his account may, you know, have its, its impact in stock markets or North Korean crises or things like that. But there's almost an element there that you're going, well, there's an unfettered level of access to the most powerful person on the planet. Now good or bad, that's a really interesting concept and a place to be. It is, it is. So I wanted to uh, ask you about some of the stuff you've been doing recently uh, yep. since leaving Twitter. Uh, you are now, you've, you've, joined the, you've joined the cult that is uh, uh, podcasters. <laughs> yes. Uh, you've started a podcast. You're obviously telling everyone about your podcast. You're telling everyone why podcasts are awesome. Yep. That's, that's part of the indoctrination. Uh, not the worst idea. Tell us about your podcast. So Chris Kennedy and myself. So Chris Kennedy is uh, one of my former teammates from uh, NRL land. So he's a journalist. He's been writing for NRL.com for four years now. Uh, Very insightful guy, very witty, but a very broad series of tastes. And over a couple of beers at the end of last year, we started to lament the fact that pretty much every form of debate on the planet didn't tend to be nuanced. It was always about... You suck or you're awesome. Yep. And we just thought that's ridiculous. We should find a way the to Stephen A. Smith hot take. Yes. Yeah, this yes, yes. style. Yep. Yeah. So rather than we, we started to nut it out as probably maybe the fourth or fifth beer at the Edinburgh Castle flowed and said, we think there's an opportunity to have a conversation around difficult issues, but in a rational way. So not the worst idea. The idea behind it is that we try and reach not the worst idea about it. It might not be a great one, but it's better than what existed. And yep. one of our phrases is that underachievement is still an achievement yep. uh, to be able to do it. So we, in the first four episodes so far, we've we've decided to go really easy topics. We discussed uh, marriage equality okay. and, and race. Yep. And today we talked about free speech um, in that way. The, the premise behind it going that it's it's it, we find it intriguing that the people who complain that they don't have any free speech are the people who seem to have the most Sky TV shows, newspaper articles yep. and the like. So sort of the idea that, say, Andrew Bolt feels that he's restricted in his opinion. It's like, dude, you've got like 30 hours of national exposure a week. Like how much more do you want your own channel? Yeah. So um, – and look, we, we uh, try to get a guest on every week. We've had in three of the four episodes. So we've had – Sass Neal, who you probably know from yep. O'Errol, um, who we're huge, huge fans of and known through our rugby league circles. Uh, Danielle Hayes, who's an MMA fighter, who's um, at the first stage of making her way through the Invictus yep. um, you know, series in the US. So, And you know, Danielle's just a, a ball of energy, but under her makeup, sort of masking two massive shiners from the most recent fight. Um, and today uh, we had um, uh, Kobe... Bedford, who's um, a playwright, scriptwriter, producer, 
and just a fascinating range of stories that she told us about doing the Thor Ragnarok shoot that she was involved with recently and, yep. and the fascinating parts. So, yeah, we're, we're four weeks into it. And, yes, as you would tell us, the rivers of gold that exist in podcasting, that we're, we're looking forward to retiring on those millions in about yeah. eight weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, long, it's a longer haul. It's a longer <laughs> haul. It's probably my uh, first point. Um, how have you – like, how has the – how has the early returns because it's super early, like, yeah, and, and yeah. so, um, yeah, have, it, you, have you have you had uh, listener feedback from someone you don't know? Yeah, in, interestingly, we when we did the race uh, one, so the, we started talking about it with Stan Grant's article about how factually the Captain Cook statue in Hyde Park is incorrect. He mm. did not discover the country. And when you, it's the old story that when you actually read the article he wrote, he talks about how Australia has three great stages of its history there's you know the first Australians is the British colonization and then there's the multicultural story and it's and he says you can't deny it with mm-hmm. each one but a little bit of context would be helpful and then the whole world ends as a result of this being the case we got great feedback from Stan's uh, wife Tracy Holmes mm-hmm. so Tracy shared it through audience and said I think this is really valuable if you listen to she's you know we spoke to her direct about the whole thing we're hoping to have her and or Stan on in, in coming weeks but yep. it's that that sort of moment that way um Danielle as a fighter like lots of her fellow gym buddies and trainers sent us messages and really loved it as well and and for her she's using it as a way to to show how she needs to now media train herself in the same way. So, look, yeah, the, the returns aren't huge. Uh, mm. we, we joke about our tens of listeners yep. um, at the moment. Family is always the one that's harshest and that's what you need it to be yep. in the way you do it. And I'm certainly learning a lot about my own communication – sorry, as I fumble on the word, my own communication style yep. – um, and how you get it right and get it wrong, but yeah, look, really, really enjoying it. It's uh, it's a little bit of an indulgence to be able to do it, and, but yeah, it's it's good. Well, it's good in that indulgence. It's, yeah, it's, you want to get past the uh, when it feels like you have to do it. Yeah, like, then that's the, like that's in you, know, but and you do it anyway, and yeah. then and then it goes, you know, oh, this is what you you know what you do. It's and it and it and it does take a bit of a you know a rhythm to say, oh, this is when we're you know. It took me ages for this podcast to say I'm doing it on this date. Yeah. Right. And and whereas I did Beers Blokes Business, and I made the the, the correct assumption there. I said it's coming out at Mondays at six. <laughs> and I don't again. I don't know why it took so long for me to just adopt that with the Sports Geek yeah. podcast and say here's my schedule because you know one of the takeaways from podcast movement was people do need that ritual. You know that it comes out at this time. Yeah. Same bat time, same bat channel, that kind of stuff, and gives them that routine to go. Oh, I'm about to go for my run or go on that commute. I know I can get the episode, you know, the latest, not the worst idea episode out. When, have you got a set schedule yet? Or yeah, we record every Thursday morning, and so we. When so we, when, when does it come out? So it's usually it's, it's published around one or two in the afternoon on a Thursday. So yep. episode four live now. Um, so we the studio we do it at is uh, a creative agency in Paddington called The Projects. Yep. So um, one of my former colleagues from Telstra actually used to be me doing digital NRL. He ran the sponsorship side of things, Matt yep. McCann. Yep. So Matt's been great that we started as a 10-week series because he also has other podcasts that they are supportive of and they can help commercialise. The idea is let's do it, let's build an audience and see after 10 weeks where we've arrived at and go from there. So you're sort of doing that season style to say, hey, we're going to do our first season. Yeah. So, you can, so it can give you that. Because there's a lot of people, I'm going to do a podcast and, you know, I've done Biz Blokes and it was just 
weekly and I do this and it's just weekly and then you yeah. go, oh, it's weekly. See, that means you can do 50 this year and you're like, shit, <laughs> right? And so I think setting it down as seasons, yeah, you know, which I think a few people are, you know, now getting used to and it's like, oh, you know, you do have to do the ramp up and, hey, we're back and that kind of thing. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a good way of doing it because then you're not over, you know, overachieving. You yeah. can plan out, you know, t- your 10 guests, your 10 topics. You can get the prep done and that kind of stuff because, yeah, the each you know come up with something every week uh can, you know can be tougher did you know 90 odd episodes of beers blokes over over yeah. sort of two and a half year period and it just you know longer than most i think most fade at 10 or 12 episodes um but it just got to the point where it was like and i'm done yeah we didn't even we didn't even have a here's a closing episode we even tried to get to 100 I, like i said i've got nine to go guys let's and we, we recorded two and i'm like we can't even get to 100. That's it. It's done. It's done. We're stopping there. Um, is cirrhosis the thing that stopped you at the same time? Like, sort of after 90 episodes and you're canning on? No, was, no, it wasn't. That wasn't. A, that wasn't. A, that wasn't a problem. Um, so yeah, so you've been uh, doing the podcast, and then you've also you, you've also been living out a bit of a, a childhood dream, doing a bit of commentary as well. Yeah. So steel sports. Uh, so Albie Tallarico, a fantastic guy. Met him through. So being over the years that I've lived in this area of Sydney, the Newtown Rugby League Club is uh, the team that plays in reserve grades, the equivalent of the VFL in Victoria. And uh, having been a member for like 16, 17 years, went to a season launch this year, met a bunch of these guys, and they said, look, if you want to come along and do a bit of sideline eye work or be in there while we do the commentary, help yourself. And so I was quite flattered by that. And then it's now become a permanent thing. And so I'm, I'm missing this weekend, but we're now doing the uh, Intrust Super Premiership Reserve Grade um, or the Intrust Super Premiership Semi-Finals. Yep. And so I'm not there this weekend, but the weekend after at Leichhardt Oval, we'll do the double header and then we'll do the Grand Final. And the winner of that goes on Rugby League Grand Final to play the Interstate Challenge to become the best national team. It's an internet uh, radio call. It's great fun. You sit in the horrible old 1960s red brick yep. above the kiosk at Henson Park. But yeah, it's it's a it, you really feel like you're harking back to Rex Mossop days. Yep, because you're, you're you're doing the special comments and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's it, my job is like the, I'm amazed actually that the commentators doing like we have no TV screens. The game would be 80 meters away, and these guys know exactly what's going on. Can pinpoint it. So my job is to provide sort of pithy you know observations during the course of it, and it's it's a little bit more. HGN Roy than it is continuous call in the way we operate, yep. but it's it's good fun and it's it's uh, yeah like the podcast it's a bit of an indulgence that way. But um, you know my kids are in an age now where they don't need to be minded every Saturday, so ducking off to Henson Park for three hours to have some fun is is a really good way to be. And is it sort of giving you a bit more you know to, to, to hark back to your NRL days to be more closer knit with the grassroots community and that kind of thing? Is it giving you a different perspective on sport? It, it really does. We so I've, I've Tried as well, like through the club, there's been a, a couple of the board members and other people involved that have reached out going, well, you're from Twitter and you've done sports rights and you've done this. Can we ask you a few things? And you're always willing to help them because they operate off the smell of an oily rag. Yep. And this year for the second time, Newtown did its uh, beer, food, beer, food and footy festival. Now, last year experimented with it, got a bunch of craft brewing tents and the like. Last year got 3,000 people. Now, that's pretty good. Usually it's about 1,000, 1,500 people a game. This year, the stars aligned. The marketing of it was excellent, pushed it heavily. Major newspapers were talking about it. Um, And then on the day, it's 23 degrees. It's a beautiful Sydney afternoon. 
six and a half thousand people show up. Now, the context is the night before the Roosters played Newcastle at the stadium and they got seven. Yep. So if you're nudging on that edge there, you know you're doing it right. So the question is, how as a club we accelerate that and reach out to that community more and more as that demographic change has happened and there's parents and kids all moving in. But the examples of that, say what Manly and Warringah Rugby are doing, I don't know an equivalent in, yep. in Victoria in the same way, but... I have a bit of a theory that this sort of hyper-localism is something that's really growing, which is it costs so much bloody money to buy a house in Australia now that you know you're not going to move quickly. So you embrace all those symbols of your local neighbourhood that way. So if it means people talk about the price of going to footy, going to Henson Park is 10 bucks to get you in, kids are in free. Getting a young Henry's over the bar is five bucks and you get it in a can and you're trusted not to be an idiot about it. You get to kick the footy on the field before the game at half time yep. and a full time and you jump over the fence, there's no OHS to worry about that way. You're treated like adults and you toddle off into the night and it's a good afternoon. And I I think this I don't want to say it's old school, but it's there's something sort of But it also you know, does fit into, you know, the the trend of experiential marketing and events and the fest the pop up festivals that are yep. whether they're cheese or food or wine or beer that are becoming the, the entertainment options yeah. that are, you know, becoming the preferred one. And, again, they're just in your supporting your local markets, that kind of thing, then I'm going to go to the game, at, you know, 11 times a year or whatever, you know, because they're a young family and, they you know, they want something different. So it sort of fits in that space and, it, it's, it a, and it's a good mashup of, well, you know, if this festival and market's going to happen, why not happen at the footy and, and you know, get a, get a win-win? Yeah, exactly, and it's it's look, it's it's the worst ground on earth to be at if it's raining and cold. There's no question. There's one stand that holds about three hundred people, and there's no shelter that way. So you're not going there for the relaxation. But it's, I think it's also that our. I don't know if it was the same for you, but when I was a kid, guys who play reserve grade, you kind of crack jokes a little bit about it, and you know they're average that way. But as you've gotten older, and you realise just how hard it is just to exercise yourself and you appreciate that a bloke busting a gut in reserve grade takes so much commitment and they are elite athletes. So then when you jump the ground at the end of the game and you're wandering through, go up and say day to one of the players. I was at a Newtown game recently and Sam Tagatizi, former Melbourne player, premiership winner with Cronulla, is there with his daughter and you go up and you have a yarn to him and he's a lovely guy. Yep. Get a photo with him, you shake hands and you walk off into the night and that accessibility of your heroes, I think that's uniquely Australian. You do not get that in other countries around the world yep. when it comes to sport. And it's, it's, it's becoming less and less likely at the professional level. Yeah. Um, you know, it still happens at the lower lower leagues. And, and I do think, you know, in, in Victoria, the VFL offers some of that. Um, but I think, it, you know, again, it's they don't have the suburban stadiums and, yeah. and the suburban stuff. And I think it's only maybe... I guess Geelong and I think the Western Bulldogs are doing a really good job in basing their region and to a certain degree Hawthorne sort of out in the east but again they're just they're not you know that's not where Hawthorne was generated from yeah, um, yeah. but you know they've got that they've got that base and a few other teams have tried to manufacture it to sort of say Melbourne's going to go to Casey and you know uh, St Kilda's going to do more down in Mornington and that kind of stuff they've tried to do it but you sort of still need the you know that, that heartbeat of a Western Oval or a yeah. Newtown or that kind of thing that says, well, this is why, and it's, a really, it's really hard to manufacture. So taking Priya from Yinscam to a Manly West game at Brookvale Oval, there were two things that she marvelled at when we were there. One of them was 
the accessibility and the proximity to players. So them walking, you know, the manly players doing high fives at the end of the game. But probably the most incredible thing was where we were sitting uh, down at the southern end of the oval, pointing out to her, oh, look, you see that man sitting over there? That's our Prime Minister. So Tony Abbott's sitting about 30 metres away and she asks, well, where are the, where, where are the security guards? And I went, uh, it's that bloke and that bloke. And you point to them and, and she goes, oh, well, can we go and say hello? And I, and I said, well, one of his, um, a New South Wales minister, um, my brother used to work for him. So I said, look, I'll show you. And so I wander, wander over and sort of squeeze past Tony Abbott, Margie Abbott. Oh, sorry. Oh, no worries. How are you going? And go and say good day to, to the minister. And, and she's just watching going, why didn't someone try to shoot you? And I went, well, you know, that's Australia. I don't really know what to tell you that way. So you've pretty much just uh, absolutely qualified the Simpsons episode of Australia with the, with the, with the Prime Minister <laughs> in, the, in the dam saying, no, yeah, no problem, Shagger. Um, okay. I'm glad uh, that we – yeah, that, that was what I was hoping for, at least one Simpsons reference during the course of this. So I've, I have a mate who says that if you – if you meet a woman and she doesn't understand your love of Simpsons series three to eight, you shouldn't be in the relationship. That's probably too. It's probably too specific. But uh, <laughs> we should we should wrap up uh, because, as I said, I haven't I haven't podcast and drunk beer for a while. Uh, I haven't done it that often on the uh, on the Sports Geek one. I think we've gone through, but we probably got uh, more truthful as the episode has gone on, <laughs> as well as the tradition on beers blokes business. So I'm going to cl- finish with the. Uh, the closing five. Do you remember the first sports event you ever attended? I, the first one I would recall would be my dad taking me to see West's Magpies playing against St George uh, at Cogra Oval when I was about six or seven. Yeah. So how did you how did you become a Raider fan? So dad, <clears throat> my dad grew up in Enfield in the inner west of Sydney. So he was a Magpies man. He moved to Canberra when he was twenty two, and then when the Raiders came in in eighty two, coincidentally we were obsessed with Wests and the Magpies. Mm. He took us to the very first home game that yep. the Raiders played at Seaford Oval against Wests. We walked through the gates. My brothers and I are all in black and white. Dad turns around and says, "I'm going to be going for the home team," and we burst into tears. It was. Our value system disappeared, yeah. the whole thing. So from that point on, my dad became a season ticket holder in the first year. He, I was, he took me every, every time it was available. So the love of the Raiders kicked in. And also, look, facing facts, within five years, they were in the grand final, so it wasn't that harder, yeah. harder call. Yeah, but it is funny, like, now that you're, you know, being in sport and you've watched, you know, uh, studies and marketing initiatives to get fans, it's like it's still, you know, Dad says, oh, this is what I'm doing and, and this is who you end up following. Yeah, and my, my son is the same way, that he is obsessed with the Raiders. He absolutely loves them. The loss last year to Melbourne, he was in North Queensland with another family and I just through his sobs yeah. could not hear anything and just trying to talk him down over the whole thing. And I still as I think about it now, it was just awful that way. But It's the gift the fathers can give. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, it's the fever pitch moment of uh, – what is it about I, my friend Jason Buffier talks about it, that it's the line about how it's like going to your local restaurant, mm. but you won't keep going to the restaurant if they keep serving rubbish, yep. but the team you will keep showing up for. Yep, yep. Uh, what do you have a favourite uh, – you would have been to a fair few sports events. Do you have a favourite food memory or a go-to food at a sports event? Um, let me think. I've got to say, I was profoundly disappointed by what was put on offer at the NFL or the college football game a couple of weeks ago. 
So that's one that I wouldn't recommend. Yeah. Um, you, you like your hot dog shorter? I think I just like it <laughs> delivered. It's the big thing. So, it, you know, getting service there was not the easiest thing. Um, I, I, look, I think I go back to the simple pleasures that a Henson Park sausage sandwich, which you can get for $3.00, is one of my favourite memories that way. Um, I've I, can, been, I can't walk past a sausage sizzle without yeah, a sausage. Yeah, look, there's something about you know borderline caramelised onions and some tip-top white high-five that just kicks in that way. I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to be in you know corporate boxes and things like that, and, and I will say at the Sydney Football Stadium, the party pies at the footy stadium are exceptional in those corporate areas. But, yeah, I can't go past a Henson Park steak, a sausage singer. And uh, what's the first app you open in the morning? It is Twitter still. It is absolutely the first one that I open every single time. Yep. And uh, who should uh, the Sports Geek podcast listeners follow that you follow that you suggest is a, is a good follow, whether they be a tweeter or a blogger or a podcaster? Mm-hmm. Um, from a podcast perspective, um, it's maybe not a podcast, but I've, I've downloaded recently, I'm a huge fan of John Ronson, the author, mm-hmm. um, who wrote Psychopath Test, Men Who Stare at Goats. He has recently done one for Audible. Um, okay. So it's, uh, the podcast will be later in the year, but it's available exclusively on, on uh, Audible at the moment called The Butterfly Effect. And my understanding is that it's um, elements about the porn industry. And so he's, he's a guy who just finds out about something and goes and investigates. And it might be a short story. So he's written about uh, Alex Jones, the, you know, the InfoWars guy in the States, about whether or not, it's an act or it's real and he really believes it. So in the in the area of true fiction sort of yeah, space, sort yeah. of Mike, Michael Lewis, Moneyball, exactly. that kind of stuff? Yeah, and and Ronson himself is a really fascinating person that he's um, he's has suffers from anxiety and panic attacks. So he's at one extreme of psychopathy to the other. Um, so, yeah, I, I and following him, he when he liked one of my tweets and responded to one of my tweets about a year ago, um, I was over the moon. It was up there. The two best responses I've had was from him and from the official Simpsons account earlier in the year that they yep. liked something I'd done. No, and that's it. Drop mic. I'm out of here. Yeah, um, and it, it, that's uh, that's yeah, that, that's funny because I've heard both that from uh, people who run the teams that where I've said you know it's really important to just double tap to like fan tweets, <laughs> even if you get your intern to go and do a bunch of them every now and again. Um, and they, you know, and because you see so many of them, it's like, oh. but then you go, oh yeah, I just tweeted the Brooklyn Nets and they liked it. I'm like, yeah, see, that's yeah. how it feels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it is. The, you know, you know, the Yankees are just like, that's how it feels. That's why you do it. Yeah, um, and that's one of those huge benefits of social media itself. It's just those those little elements that way that just make people feel valued and loved. Yep. And uh, what social media platform is uh, your MVP? You, do you mean between Facebook, et cetera? Well, it's, it's, it's the Kevin Durant, you know, you're the real MVP. You only get to pick yeah. one. There's a lot of people go, oh, I like this one, I like this one. I'm like, no, no, you only get to pick one. Yeah. Look, I, I, am, I am biased having worked there and going from somebody who is, as we called it, a light user through to a you know, mega, mega heavy one, it still remains Twitter, mainly mm-hmm. because I, with the amount of – I try and limit myself to 200 accounts that I follow. I'm not a follow 5,000 person yep. because I like the quality of what I'm getting through. Um, so at a, at a simple level and yeah, I'm not going to try and pretend I'm intelligent by saying I follow things like the economist, but it's bands. I love like following yep. the national or Queens of the stone age or sound. That's the unique thing of Twitter. Like everyone's, yeah. everyone's Twitter is different cause you're following different things. Yeah. And so that's what makes the, the product unique. 
it's all, again, it's also the challenge of go find all those cool things and you go, oh, look, this is my cool mm. view of the world. Yeah, um, and I should say one other person that I do really love is Rob Delaney. So the uh, American comedian who lives in London now is in the, the TV show Catastrophe. Yep. Um, he is just screamingly hilarious, but he's just also – he's very politically active as well. So seeing how he retweets or comments on things as well, he's, he's amazing to follow. And if people wanted to tweet you, follow you – uh, where would they find you on the internet? So they will find me at on Twitter at, at DaveRay99, D-A-V-E-R-A-Y 99. Um, if Facebook, if you want to look me up, facebook.com slash DaveRay. Um, LinkedIn, obviously, there at any point in time. And the same and uh, Not the Worst Idea in and all good podcast stores. That's right. If you just Google Not the Worst Idea podcast, you'll hear these dulcet tones uh, coming out at you on a regular basis. Well, I just got asked uh, whether I've uh, taken shares in Pocket Cast because I mention it so often in my uh, podcast. Um, I will check it out on my Pocket Cast and I'm actually going to meet Russell, the guy who built it tomorrow oh, okay. at, at OzPod. So I expect a big like display check. You know, that says, you know, 12 cents, you know. Uh, for, for, you're going to feel like a Taylor Swift on Spotify. Yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. Thanks very much for coming on the pod and good to catch up over a, over a few beers. Thanks, mate. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Sign up for Sports Geek News at sportsgeekhq.com slash sign up now. Thanks again to Dave Ray, a.k.a. Dave Ray 99 on Twitter. If you uh, please send him a tweet, tell him about both this chat, this podcast, but also tell him, uh, check out his podcast, Not the Worst Idea. Uh, the links will be in the show notes, but uh, if you put in Not the Worst Idea into most podcasting platforms, you will find it. Um, the question of the podcast, just uh, from our discussion with Dave and the stuff that he's been doing, doing a little bit of commentary, um, what childhood dreams have you forgotten about and not followed and not chased down? Uh, to that, uh, as someone who's living uh, and breathing his childhood dream of working in sports and uh, playing around with tech uh, and doing Sports Geek, it is something that I uh, thought I would do way back when I was a 15, 16-year-old. Now I'm actually doing it. Uh, my question is... Don't don't not do it. Just get out there and do it. Give it a crack. Whether it's just something that you're doing to uh, scratch that itch. Um, yeah, life's too short. Uh, so if you've got a, a dream of something that you want to do, uh, give it a crack. Um, I think it's the only way. And uh, yeah, interesting to chat to to Dave uh, around podcasting. As I said, been to a few podcasting conferences recently. Um, and one of the things I'm always doing is asking people what they listen to. And so I thought what I would do is uh, give you a bit of a rundown of what's in my uh, what's in my pocket cast uh, both uh, listened feed and uh, and starred feed so normally what I do is if I do see a good episode or I listen to a good episode um, I star it um, some of the podcasts I listen to on a really regular basis um, I hardly miss an episode um, the starters uh, again lucky enough to tour the set of the starters even though it's a TV show I primarily consume it in a podcasting form um, lucky enough to have Lee Ellis on the podcast uh, a while ago now. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to the starters coming back with their regular daily show on uh, on the NBA. Uh, two Guys, One Cup uh, with Will Anderson, comedian Will Anderson, who I've been lucky enough to have at an event and also uh, uh, appeared on Beers Blokes Business and uh, actually met up with uh, Charlie Corson at, at OzPod. So I love their take on, on footy overall, um, not taking themselves too seriously. I think Zach Lowe's... Uh, a really uh, accomplished podcaster at ESPN, The Low Post. If you're, again, 
if you like those deep dive NBA discussions. But then also, uh, he sort of goes a little bit wider. Um, I like them. Uh, shout out to Amir Zanozzi. Um, I'm, a, I'm a regular listener to YI Social. Uh, they do a five favorites episode where they sort of recap five, uh, five news items and uh, discuss five tech trends. Uh, I really enjoy that discussion. Um, another AFL, a couple of other AFL ones being at the, the end of the AFL football season. Uh, I like uh, Adam Rosenbach's Michael Chamberlain's Junk Time AFL. Um, and also the, the Outer Sanctum uh, caught up with, uh, with the girls behind uh, the Outer Sanctum at, uh, at OzPod. Um, and they provide a completely unique uh, point of view because they're not in the Inner Sanctum. They're on the outside and uh, really taking, the, I guess, the fan point of view. And they've had some really good... Uh, interviews. Um, if you like interviews and you're on that uh, entrepreneurial bent, um, and you like the and you like the entrepreneurial stories of uh, uh, of executives, but then also people in the music and film and sports entertainment space, um, I've been a long time listener of Brian uh, Brian Koppelman. The moment um, he was initially at Grantland, now he's at Slate, and he's apparently moving somewhere else. Um, his recent episode with. Uh, but Marty Jones uh, was really good if you're into, I guess, uh, wordsmithery, which I know, ironically, is not really a word. Um, but, yeah, fascinating listening to two guys who are writers talk about uh, what they do from a uh, podcasting and radio show perspective and how it, how it affects it. Um, I'm a regular listener. Bill Simmons have been since the Grantland days. Um, his recent podcast with John McEnroe and uh, the episodes he did with uh, Kevin Durant uh, – especially the Durant ones. It's one of the most disarming um, athlete discussions. No, no canned responses. And I think uh, he's got a really good rapport with, with Kevin Durant. Um, the 30 for 30 guys uh, at ESPN, uh, lucky enough to meet them over at uh, South by Southwest and then at Podcast Movement. Um, I'm hoping to get some of the producers on the show to sort of dive into that audio documentary stuff. Um, but if you haven't given it a listen, please do. Um, I love the Yankee Sucks episode. And also the Queen of Swords episode was a really good one. Um, I've been liking the uh, Forbes Sports Money interviews. Um, the Ted Leonosis episode was really good. Um, you know, diving a little bit deeper with uh, with the execs uh, and the and the CEO owner level. Um, I'm hoping to steal some of those guests for the Sports Geek podcast. Um, I gave uh, the new series uh, that the Ringer brought out, the Rewatchables, where they pretty much uh, break down an old movie that you. Rewatch. Uh, I listened to the uh, the their retake of um, uh, Point Break. Uh, so again, if you want a, a bit of a turn the brain off and not uh, not looking to, to do personal development, just a fun listen. Uh, the Rewatchables is a fun listen, and and if you do want a uh, sort of behind the scenes look at uh, the Australian media sports media landscape, um, uh, Hutchie from Croc Media, Craig Hutchison um, and and Damo do the sounding board. Um, and it's a good, uh, irreverent uh, listen to what's happening behind the scenes, and sort of breaks down a little bit of the, uh, a bit of the sports media, at least here in the in the Australian space. A little bit like the Richard Dice one um, around sports media. I, I've listened to that once or twice, uh, but that's more interviews with the same people. Um, but yeah, I, I do mind that. I don't mind the uh, the sounding board. And then the episode, if people say, what episode should I listen to? Um, it hasn't changed. It's one of the only episodes I think I've listened to a couple of times. Uh, it's uh, Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss interviewing Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, it's like ninety minutes uh, deep dive on everything Arnold. Um, and uh, if you, you know, it's a fascinating listen. Uh, and I always send people to it. So there's some of the podcasts I listen to. 
um, yeah, please send me a send me a tweet or an email. Tell me what podcast you're listening to. I'm always looking for uh, so from some fresh uh, pod podcasts to uh, to fill my my travel and uh, and commute and those kind of things. And just when I'm looking to to learn something new and get different perspectives, um, I'm always looking for new podcasts. Um, I want to wrap this episode up. Um, it is. Uh, it is grand final week here in Australia. The AFL and NRL grand finals uh, will be happening uh, and will have happened by the time I've re- uh, published this, but I'm recording this before and publishing it after. Um, so I just wanted to, one, uh, wish best of luck to the Adelaide Crows, who are obviously a sports gear client. We've uh, had a lot of success with the Adelaide Crows Crowbot, their Facebook Messenger bot. Um, it's sent over 20,000 messages backwards and forwards to fans over the last three weeks. Um, with a lot of them having fun with the content that's embedded in there and the, the little mini game. So uh, it's been really interesting to see how the fans engage um, with the Messenger Bot. And I think it was really important to uh, tighten the tighten the scope because we are getting a lot of fans uh, pleading their case for, for tickets and, and that kind of thing. And we've done a pretty good job of making sure most of the answers they want are in there and, and lessen the... I guess the stress that uh, comes with the, with the grand final week. Uh, so best of luck to the team behind the team. Um, you know, from an off-field point of view. So uh, Schutz and Kieran, Katrina, Chambo, Ryan, and everyone in the digital team uh, behind the scenes capturing everything, as well as obviously former guest uh, and former Crows Premiership player Nigel Smart, and obviously future guest. Uh, and I'm going to have him on as part of the CEO series, Andrew Fagan, who's done a terrific job. Uh, running Adelaide as a, as a, as a club um, so all the best uh, for the day and I uh, hope it is successful um, but I can't re- really uh, forget the, uh, the, their opponent uh, the Richmond Tigers um, as I've got uh, strong family ties my mum, my sister and my daughter are all mad uh, Tiger fans so uh, I hope they have a great day at the MCG and thanks to my daughter Jade, who sent through the sounds of the game just to be played at the end of this episode, with uh, ninety-five thousand uh, Tiger supporters. Uh, the the you can, you can just hear the emotion and the jubilation after they won their prelim to win through to the grand grand final. So best of luck to them, and not forgetting the NRL uh, as we work with the Melbourne Storm and the North Queensland Cowboys, who are, Cowboys who are going to uh, face off. Uh, in the NRL Grand Final on the Sunday. Um, and so they're both teams that have won it in recent years. They're not going through a premiership drought like uh, the Crows and uh, and the Tigers. Uh, they've both won in recent years. So best of luck to Jono, Oz, Nick, Sarah, Dave Donaghy and the team at the Storm and and the same uh, to, to Cynthia, Greg, Jackie and the, and the team at the Cowboys. Um, I'm looking forward to the coverage, uh, looking forward to seeing what happens on the day for both the, uh uh, for both teams or all teams um, I guess my advice and it's the advice that I'll give to uh, to, to Kieran and the, and, the, and the team of the Crows and, and have done it previously with the Storm and the, and the Cowboys is uh, from a digital point of view and I think I've spoken a few times on the on the podcast is there's a real pressure uh, and there's an internal pressure it's almost self-imposed to to, uh, to cover everything and, and push out a lot of content on, on the day uh, when most of the attention, whether it be a AFL Grand Final, NRL Grand Final, uh, you know, um, a Super Bowl, most of the attention is on the TV. The TV does take front and centre, um, and so digital sort of is this is the secondary channel. And so, what I my advice is: yes, capture a lot of info. It doesn't all have to go out. You know, take ten, uh, take lots of photos, take lots of video. It doesn't all have to go out on the day. 
um, because there will be a, there'll be a lot of content that will be able to be published post event after the event, especially in the in the advantageous uh, area of a win. Um, you know, if you can remember the conversation I had with Nick Trulson post the Western Bulldogs win, uh, a lot of all the content they had there. Um, but the, my other advice is, especially when you're working in sport, uh, is to take a moment or two and realise what a big moment and what a what a big moment that is uh, to be in a in a grand final in a big game, and uh, and to make sure you enjoy it. Um, it's the reason that people want to work in sport. It's the reason that sport's so appealing is to have these uh, highs of, uh, of of these games, and so it's a it's a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit like Ferris Bueller's uh, advice at the end of uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and uh, take a look once now, it'll pass you by. And um, that's the same advice I have for, for a big game. So, yes, every now and again, uh, put down the camera, put down the phone. You don't have to watch the whole game through a, through a viewfinder or through an Instagram filter. Um, just soak it up and uh, you know uh, indulge yourself take a take a selfie when there's 95,000 people around you and you realize how lucky you are to work in the industry that uh, that we work in so that's my advice uh, to to the uh, the teams behind the teams going into the grand finals um, but it's also my advice for for people working in sport all the time um, these moments are, are what make your job special. Um, make sure that you remember them and uh, don't get caught in the in the busyness of creating content and and uh, getting caught on that uh, on that treadmill uh, because it's really it's a real special really special time and you've got to take advantage of it advantage to it. So and uh, if you listen to the sounds of the game that Jade grabbed um, after that prelim final, you'll uh, you know it should uh, uh, you know have the hairs in the back of the neck. Uh, uh, standing up. So until next time, uh, please uh, send me an email or uh, contact me, uh, Sean at SportsGeekHQ. Um, I've actually got a new Facebook data uh, audiences book that uh, should be out by the time this episode's out. And if it's not, please just, uh, that means we've had a big weekend. Uh, just email me and send me a link. Um, it will be available under sportsgeekhq.com slash Facebook data. If you go to that link, you'll be able to download that book where we uh, break down how we do Facebook audiences and things like that. So until next time, uh, my name is Sean Callanan and you've been listening to Sports Geek. Join over 1,000 sports business executives in Sports Biz Slack. Go to sportsgeekhq.com slash slack. Please leave a review on iTunes. Go to sportsgeekhq.com slash iTunes. Find out how to drive between eight and 30000 in profit for each digital campaign you sell sponsors. Check out sportsgeekcampaigns.com. Just like Jimmy Butler, you can call Sean anytime at 61 407 0407 200.